Happy St. John's Day. Happy St. John's Day. Happy St. John's Day. Perfect. Good job. Sometimes you have to take a pulse check on this congregation at 5 o'clock. Y'all are quiet, quiet, quiet. It is good to see each and every one of you. And um, I do like on Sunday nights uh, when we have time to do a somewhat deep dive on a topic rather than a scripture. And tonight is the communion of saints and what is the role of a saint and more specifically, what is the role of a patron saint? What is the role of a patron saint? What are, what are they doing up there or wherever they are? Um, and I hope that you find it as helpful a reflection as I have found it in preparing. So from the earliest days of Christianity, baptized people have been referred to as saints. And to be a saint is to be a holy person, a person who is set apart for the purposes of God. That's the root of the word holy, holiness, sanctification, sanctified, saint. All of these words are related to a person who has been set apart for the purposes of God. From the very earliest days of Christianity, in addition to those who are baptized, which is basically kind of, to some extent, every person in this room, there have been those who have been understood as having an even closer and more special relationship to God than those of us who are kind of the normal people, if you will, the normal baptized people of God. And it's people through their lives and through their witness have shown in some unique way an intimacy with the crucified and risen Christ. And so if you will think back to your Sunday school days, there are four kind of principal saints, if you will, at the beginning of the New Testament. And we attribute the first four books of the New Testament, the Gospels, to these saints. They are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. St. John. We are named for St. John. St. John's Cathedral is named for St. John the Evangelist, who is not to be confused with St. John the Divine, who is the author of the Revelation to John, the final book of the Bible. So St. John the Evangelist is understood as our patron saint. But what does that mean to have a patron saint? So again, from the earliest days of Christianity, there were those who were seen as having a more intimate relationship with God and being closer to God, especially in their deaths. And often what would happen is when a person, a Christian, would be martyred in a particular place, Christians would begin showing up there, and if you've been to Jerusalem or Rome, even London to some extent, other places, 
You go to a place where a saint is buried or a relic of their body is kept or where they are understood to have died for their faith. Christians would start assembling there, praying there, celebrating communion there, much in the same way as we saw, you know, 24 years ago when Princess Diana died tragically. What did people start doing? They showed up to Buckingham Palace and to Windsor Castle and to the hospital where she died with flowers and with other memorabilia from her life to commemorate a life lived, a very special and unique like life lived. And so Christians began building churches on the places where saints were buried or died. And as we left sort of that era of those who lived kind of closest in relationship to Christ chronologically, churches began springing up all over the world and began adopting their own patron saints. And a patron saint is a saint for whom we are named and a saint that we trust is praying for us. Because they are, as the Book of Common Prayer calls it, in the nearer presence of God due to death. And because they are in the nearer presence of God, we can trust that they are there, they are alive in a way that we don't understand, and they are praying for us. They are making intercession on our behalf. Now, for those of you who did not grow up Catholic, big C Catholic, the way I talk about it usually is when I'm having a hard time, I ask a person or people I love to pray for me. Nine times out of 10, they're living people. <laughs> I ask them to pray for me. And even if you come from a Baptist background or more Protestant background, in those traditions, you have a tradition of asking living people to pray for you. And what Catholics would say, and what most Episcopalians and Orthodox Christians would say, is that the saints, John, Mary Magdalene, Mary, Mother of God, and the list goes on. I mean, there's innumerable saints before in the presence of God. If they are living in the presence of God in a way that we don't understand, then they can pray for us. That's as simple as we can put it. That if they are alive in the nearer presence of God, they can pray for us. Now, sometimes there's some confusion because people assume that if we have a patron saint or we have pray, say, saints that we are asking to pray for us, then we are somehow obscuring God. You know, what's the point of Jesus if we can go, you know, and this is such a Protestant thing to say, if we can go directly to Jesus, 
whatever that means. No one has ever been able to explain to me exactly what that means, that we can go directly to Jesus. But like with any relationship, well, I was going to say the more people involved, the, the better. That's not true. No, not the more people involved, the better. But when it comes to prayer, the more people involved, the better. The more people involved, the better. It's difficult to tell a family with a family member who has cancer, well, you know, you want me to pray for you, but my prayers don't, don't really do much. You know, I'm, I'm just a normal person, or our church is just a normal church, and, and our prayers don't, don't do very much. That's not really what you want to tell someone when they're asking you to pray for them. And if you've said that, don't say that again <laughs> to, to people. But we're a praying church, and we believe in, in intercession for people. To know someone is praying for you is often the strength that you need to just get out of bed and to go show up to that treatment. Or to show up in that relationship that's really difficult. Or to show up to that job that is really complex. Just knowing someone is praying for you. I have a very special relationship with my maternal grandmother. She is now dead. She's been dead for seven years, which is absolutely unbelievable that she's been gone for seven years. And if I needed someone to pray for me, she was the first or second person to call besides my own mother, her daughter. And it's difficult for me to think that just because my grandmother is dead, her prayers have stopped. That's difficult for me to comprehend that that would be the case. And it's difficult for me to comprehend that just because St. John is dead, he has stopped praying for us. When you look at traditional images of the crucifixion, sometimes there are three crosses. And the even more traditional depictions of the crucifixion from the Middle Ages have three people but only one cross. Jesus is on the cross, and flanking him on the left and right are St. John, and Mary, Mother of God, the ever-blessed Virgin Mary. And those two figures on either side of Jesus are faithful stand-ins for all the disciples who could not stand the crucifixion. It was John and Mary and a few of the women, according to the Gospel of Luke, who were there witnessing Christ's great suffering and sacrifice and offering on the cross. 
St. John, in some way, is a very direct stand-in for all of us in this room and every person who has entered these doors since 1911 and who entered the doors of the other cathedral since 1860, 1861. That we are witnesses to great suffering, great tragedy, and we are also witnesses to the beauty and glory of God. What does Moses ask in Exodus that we just heard? That we might see the glorious presence of God that can be somewhat overwhelming. And sometimes we just need someone who's really good and spiritual and whole who can see the glory and return to us and say the glory is there. God is still God. Love is still love. God wins in the end. God wins in your situation and your situation and your situation. Sometimes we just need someone to go and we have a rope and we can pull them back if we need to so they can see it for us. So that we know we're not alone and that God is still God. And the saints who pray for us are those who are nearer, in the nearer presence of God, who can report back to us and say, everything's okay on the home front. And not only is everything okay on the home front, you're going to be okay. There's nothing that you face that others have not faced before you. And there is nothing that we face that is too hard for God. It's one of my favorite things that I grew up hearing in church. There is nothing too hard for God. And by extension, there's nothing too hard for us. And so in my own spiritual life, in my own devotional life, the presence of the communion of saints, of John, our patron, of the ever-blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, of so many saints and angels and those who have gone before us, and because God's presence and God's love and God's economy is not linear, we can imagine the saints who will come after us. And that's a good purpose, a good, a good thing to do on St. John's Day, is to pray for those saints who have come before us, who have saturated these walls and this ground with prayer and love and spirituality. And then we do the same to prepare for those who will come after us, those we cannot even yet imagine. And so on this patronal feast day, the day that we remember St. John the Evangelist, and I don't even touch on um, the gospel, <laughs> it's one of my favorite stories. And I love Jesus's frankness there when, when he asks, what is that to you, to Peter? 
because Peter is so caught up in comparison and competition, and Jesus gives him a very dim prophecy about the course and trajectory of his life. And then once Peter is finished getting this very deep and heavy prophecy from Jesus, he says, Lord, what about him? What about St. John? And Jesus says in a very frank way, what is that to you? You follow me, St. Peter. <laughs> Don't worry about John. John has his own story. And I think that that story also says something very important about Episcopal community in particular. That every disciple has their own call, their own relationship to God, their own way of living out the vows made at their baptism. And who am I to judge the way someone else lives out their baptized life? especially in terms of things that fall into the category of preferences. If you're a right one Episcopalian or a right two Episcopalian or a right three Episcopalian, this is a right three service, or not an Episcopalian at all, which applies to some people in this room, that's okay. The tent is large enough to include all of us. And like I said this morning to our two congregations, the beauty of Episcopal community is not that we all think the same. The beauty of Episcopal community is that we are loved by the same God. And we don't demand of each other that we believe a certain way or think a certain way or act a certain way. All of that's been dealt with on the cross. <laughs> The prerogative at this point is God's. It is God's love that drew you here. It is God's love that sustains you here. It is God's love that feeds you here. And it is God's love that St. John testified to while living. It is the love that he testifies to even in death. And it is the love that will draw us home when it is time for us to go home. And so I pray for you. I expect that St. John is praying for you. I expect that Mary, Mother of God, is praying for you. And I expect that the communion of saints, living and dead, is praying for you, sustaining you with their prayers, and are rooting you on from the stands of heaven, if you will, saying you're going to be okay. You can make it. We've done it. And so can you. Amen.